Locked on the Record with MAH, a student-led podcast by the School of Media Arts and Humanities. Tune in for discussions surrounding culture, current affairs, playlists, and much, much more. Let's talk about my first best friend having to stop hanging out with me in fifth grade because hanging out with black kids will lead him to trouble. Let's talk about how I have to take my hands out of my pockets before I go to any store just so I won't be convicted of suspicion. Let's talk about how I have to walk across the street if I see a woman on the same side of the street as me in fear that she is in fear. Let's talk about the accidental mason that happened to me when I sneezed walking past a woman and maybe she was trying to bless me, but the only substitute she had for holy water was mace. Let's talk about this illusion. Hello and welcome everyone. We are on On The Record with Media Arts and Humanities. I am Mercedes. I will be hosting today. I'm 21 years old and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, I'm Shay. I'm a part-time media practice for development and social change student. This episode is about Black and other ethnic minorities um, experience in Sussex and beyond that. So I was thinking about maybe speaking about our experience in home, in our hometowns, uh, and then contrast it with the experiences we've had when getting to Sussex, uh, the things that have surprised us in a positive or in a negative way, and just mostly just be telling each other stories about our lives and trying to make it as relatable as we can, because at the end of the day, everything ends up being relatable. We're never the only ones experiencing what we experience. So would you like to start or should I just? Um, I think you can start. Yeah, so I was, um, I was born in Spain and I grew, there, grew up there until I was 11. And then I moved to France and now I've come to Sussex. So it's true that I've got an uh, experience three different countries and I can compare all of those experiences, which is why this exercise to call it something is sort of, comes naturally to me, just contrasting what I'm living now to what I've lived before or what other people have lived around me. I am a black woman, uh, so my experience will differ from other ethnic minorities' experience. But in the in the just the general aspect, it's true that coming to university makes you forget about what makes you an individual, sort of. I'll specify better what I was trying to say um you come to uni it's a new world you're not living with your parents anymore you try to find your own identity who you are etc and I feel like for a short moment regardless of how short it is it could be two weeks or it could be two years you just forget that you're a black woman you're just discovering new things and then suddenly it just hits you there's this little experience this little comment this little thing that happens that just reminds you that oh Yes, it's true. We are all young, thriving, discovering life without parents, but also I am a person of color and there's things that I will go through that my friends won't. I don't know if that resonates with you, Shay. Uh, yeah, that does. I'm also um, black as well, but I'm kind of from like born in the UK. So it's a li little different from your experience, but I feel like there are a lot of crossovers, especially as you say with trying to find your own feet in the kind of um, consensus that is university, but also trying to stick true to your um, cultural background as well. Yes, the cultural background is super important because I feel like since I live away from my family, 
they were sort of grounding um, when it comes to culture and living away from them. It's like, I get to decide what is part of my life and what isn't. Is that different for you? Because if your family, if you grow up in the UK, I'm assuming your family also lives in the UK. So do you go and see them often? Do you feel like the world that you sort of created for yourself at home is still very present as a Black person in Sussex? Um, yeah, I would say um, it's quite difficult because I uh, commute from home. So I live in London and I commute uh, to Sussex for when I'm going to uni. And when I'm at home, it's like kind of, you know, have to abide by like the practices and stuff that your parents put on you. While when you're at uni, you can like pick and choose like how much you share and how much you portray with your like, your outlook on life so I think it is quite different it's quite a juxtaposition when I'm at home from when I'm at uni I see and on the topic of microaggressions and whichever experience that makes you suddenly realize or reminds you that you're not just a student but you're also a black person do they change are they very different to what what you experience when you're at home and when you're here, or do you get the same? Is it the same everywhere in the UK, I wonder? Well, I don't think it's the same everywhere because it depends where you are. Because, like, um, one thing that a lot of people don't really realise, especially because London is a city, is that they think that the UK has, like, a higher percentage of, like, Black people or people from, like, ethnic minority backgrounds, when a lot of them are just concentrated in cities. So, like, um, but if you would go to, like, the countryside, you would probably, if you were a Black person living in the countryside, most likely your family would be the only one there, which is kind of, like, people don't really understand. (laughs) It's just, like, being in a city, it's hyper-visible. And contrasting that from Sussex and Brighton, Brighton is quite, like, a liberal city. So it's, like, I've never, personally, I've never experienced any microaggressions. You haven't? No. (laughs) Have you? I'm super surprised. Um, I've had this conversation so many times with so many people because the first thing that shocked me was when a person told me, oh, Brighton is super white. Brighton is a very, very white people. There's barely any black people in Brighton. And I was shocked because, well, I see lots of people of color on campus and in Sussex. And even when I walk in the street, like I see black people everywhere and not only black people. But there's always, as you said, this little um, sort of rumour that all the Black people of the UK are concentrated in London and therefore if you're Black, you must be from London. It's happened so many times to me that um, people ask me where I'm from and instead of asking me directly where I'm from, they just immediately assume I'm from London. (laughs) Yeah, you, you would get that a lot. It's kind of funny because even people that are not from London but are Black, that are probably from like Kent or Essex that's just around in London would be like yeah I'm from London and I'll look at them like no you're not <laughs> fully fully I'm just surprised to hear that you haven't suffered from any microaggressions because despite the fact that Brighton is a very uh, liberal city I still feel like there is that anti-racist factor missing I don't know if it makes sense mm, I get what you mean 
Well, my experience may be a little bit different from yours because I'm like a part-time master's student and I'm in like one of the most diverse um, degrees, as in like people are from like every single, almost every single country, every single continent. So it's like, even though I am a minority in my classes still, there's still quite a large like majority of people that are international. So they kind of understand you in that sort of sense. But no, luckily I haven't experienced any any microaggressions. I see. It's shocking walking into a room, especially a lecture theatre full of people and full of a lot of people and being the only person of colour. Has it ever happened to you was that Sussex? Um no. I've not been like not in my lectures, but I've gone to like a talk during um the I think it's called like ideas festival or something and I was like the only black person there but I feel like it's quite weird because I feel like through my experiences like in university during my undergrad uh you know going to Sussex I've kind of trained myself to be somewhat okay with being the only black person because it's like you know what like if I want if it's something I want to do then I'm going to do it and I'm not going to let anyone try and make me feel any sort of way for you know taking up space I see and how have you trained yourself with being okay Um, I'm asking for the podcast and also for myself because it's always weird I'm not going to say that it's super hard and I'm not trying to say that it's the most disconcerting experience ever but it's definitely a weird feeling walking into a lecture theater and being the only black person Um, I think it just comes with the experience and time because like um, it's 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 funny because I want to say culture does play a part in it because um, I so for my undergrad I did journalism and journalism was not that diverse as well like when I did my undergrad I was probably one of five and a minority within that one of five which is it's it's a lot to handle sometimes at once sometimes you have to correct people and be like you can't say that or that's a very ignorant statement, but it just comes with practice. It comes with being very, very sure of who you are and not letting people disrespect anyone like you. They, they don't even have to be like you're the same race as you. I've had to stand up for Asian people because there wasn't someone that was of that demographic in my class. And I've had to say, you cannot say that, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, defend like, uh, other groups. Um, but I want to say like, it just comes with time. Like, Sometimes it's just the way you, the choices you pick just lead to you being the only one. It's not great some of the time. Sometimes you just want some like cultural stability or alliance with someone that would get it. But you can, sounds weird, but sometimes you can find it in other um, minority groups like my friends that were LGBTQ. They were very much like on it if I wasn't on it. You know, just have people defend in your corner. I see. I fully see what you mean. Um, I think it's just complicated sometimes because it's not always something noticeable in the sense of I have been uh, many times the only black person in the lecture theatre or in a seminar room, which is sadly more likely just because there's a smaller amount of people and therefore, well, a smaller likeliness of a person of colour being in the room. However, it's not always something noticeable because sometimes you are, yes, but it doesn't matter because it's not sort of relevant. 
mm. which would be the ideal scenario, um, as in my race shouldn't be relevant to whatever is happening in uni. Um, but sometimes it is. Sometimes there's a word that shouldn't be used or sometimes there's a phrasing that's not correct or sometimes there's a problem to say it in the, in the, to say something. Um, and it's just, you have to intervene or you feel like you should and you don't. And sort of a responsibility on your shoulders that you don't necessarily need and that other demographics, for example, within experience. I don't know if I'm making sense. It feels like you're sort of... No, yeah, I get what you're... So you have to be correcting people because they won't correct themselves. Yeah, yeah. No, sometimes I feel like sometimes education just has to be like continuously correcting itself but I was I'm very lucky that like the for both my degrees I was in a environment where it was like constant education constant checking constant conversation where in other degrees like it would be like like in sometimes in literature they would say the n-word in a book and they'd be like it's in a book so I'm gonna say it just like but why do you need to say it and sometimes you just have to challenge authority I'm a, I'm a bit of like an unruly person I'm kind of like a protester and all this other stuff so I, I would always challenge them and be like why do you need to say it you know but I do understand what you say in like in circumstances where you feel like you're almost tired of constantly having to fight a uphill battle but it's sometimes it's, I just think of it like if I don't fight it who will especially because like I had people in like years below would be like, oh, like because you said this, now we have this in our in our cohort, you know. So try and like help the people that are coming after you rather than doing it more for myself. Yeah, but I also think, um, for example, the N word. I feel like I wouldn't have a problem with it being used because it's in a book if the professor was able to explain why that word was used. I don't know if I'm making sense. Mm-hmm. I promise it's not. I just believe that each word has a meaning um, and that yes, they are synonyms in words. You could use a similar word. You could describe what you're trying to say instead of saying the actual word, which is something I do a lot because English is not my first language. So I just always try to find other ways of saying what I'm trying to say. However, if a word is picked, the person who has picked that word should be able to explain why they are using it. I don't know if you agree with that, for example. No, I do. I think I agree. Language is very deliberate. It's like, you know, when you have to, when you have to correct people with the language, you're like, oh, that language is, um, has, uh, what is it, colonial connotations and things like that. You know, having to correct people, because language, as you said, is very deliberate. It, it's said with intention. And as you say, there's loads of other words that you could use in replace for ones. But sometimes people pick the ones that would have like some shock factor or things like that without being sensitive to the words that they're using. I agree. I went to, um, and this was offered by uni, it was a lecture about Britain, the, the relations between Britain and Jamaica during slavery. And and a professor from another university was invited and uh, she was sort of giving a lecture. I think she was winning a prize or something. I, I 
genuinely don't remember. I should have remembered this for the podcast. Um, <laughs> but during her lecture, she was reading a, a paper and the N-word was on it. Obviously, it was a paper dating from uh, the slavery period. And she used the N-word. And I was so disappointed because I was genuinely expecting her to sort of develop more on that. Yeah. Just that as as you were saying, it's in a book so I can use it. I felt like that just felt incorrect. Yeah. What I was expecting wasn't a, I mean, not that I was expecting anything coming in there because I didn't know she was going to use the word. But on the moment, I thought she might just give more context on it. Instead yeah. Of using it as if it was a normal word that didn't carry any history or meaning or connotations which mm-hmm. just made everything sort of meaningless at the end because if you a professor that's renowned and winning a prize for it just randomly use the word without explaining without giving more detail without anything else in especially in a in a reading of a book that could have been avoided because it didn't bring much to the to the lecture she only used it as an example then what can we expect from professors in Sussex and and beyond? Oh, yeah, it it's quite difficult because like each degree and course sometimes has like their like their own things that they need to cover and um, other things like that. Um, it's really upsetting that you had to go to a lecture about language and history and literature, and the person didn't really. Um, explain or develop one of the most debated words currently and in the past that's really kind of silly no offense to the person oh no offense but that's really silly it does make sense when you say that each course has a topic that needs to be followed and they need to cover a certain amount of things and there's not always time to to cover everything I just generally felt like it could have been mentioned. Um, obviously, they used this word because back in the days, that's what was used. Or because it was part of the topic of the lecture. That's the point I'm trying to make, is that even yeah. if even the professors that are covering a topic that's closely related, if not the topic that covers the N-word, and then just use it without digging into it, knowing how problematic it is and how easy it is to just use a word um, and cause pain and just be problematic, then it's just sad. It's almost like it it was an opportunity for her to say it and she had the good excuse that it was in a book, so it it was just said. And it's not the first time that um, it's been brought up that professors use the N-word in an academic environment in Sussex, which I think, again, without further context without sort of putting boundaries and reevaluating what's happening when the word is used, it is problematic. And I think black students or any other students shouldn't have to um, hear that when they go to university. Yeah, I agree. Um, It's quite a hard topic, like talking about like um, racist language and stuff in books because um, I don't put it like sometimes like not every person is going to find that word offensive some people find it okay 
some will um, think that it's necessary. So it's like everyone has different ways to takes it in different ways. So it's quite difficult to think what's the best. How do we how do we fit this in so everyone can be involved? Everyone's represented. It everyone could be looked after, not offended, things like that. I agree. I feel like if at least there was um, something showing the intention not to offend, that would play in everyone's favor. As in, you're right. It's a word that some people don't want to hear at all coming off anyone's mouth, regardless of their race, regardless of the context, whether it was written in a book or if it just came out of their heads, they just don't want to hear the word. However, if before or after using said word in a context that's appropriate, if we can say that, the person using it explains why they've used it, surely it would make things better for everyone. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Because I feel like there has to be like a certain level of education and teaching around the use of such words or the um, the relevance that is to like whether the time period or the situation at hand in the book or the literature reading so it's quite it's it's quite um difficult but then sometimes you have to think is the use of the word keeping it in like people's heads to be challenged and to be talked about and to be dissected or like what is the aim of the university um using the word that's kind of what we need to be asking I agree if it is to challenge and educate, which is what I would like to think, as in I'd rather just be optimistic and give the benefit of the doubt to each and every single professor that might have used it during their lectures, then just make sure it's known. Yeah. Explain afterwards, explain before, put brackets in on the words, don't say it, say it and explain why you've said it. Don't just leave the doubt because obviously it's a very sensitive word and it can, it's very easy to just jump to conclusions and, and feel, feel hurt by that word. No, I agree. I don't really have much to add. I agree with exactly what you just said. Amazing. So on the next uh, sort of topic I had, I was wondering what is the most ridiculous thing you've experienced as a Black um, student in Sussex? Doesn't it to be notorious, just something that is like, that has, again, reminded you that you were a student of colour and that you knew that wouldn't have happened to someone else? Oh, I have to think about that. <laughs> okay, I have an experience, but it's not from Sussex. It's from my post, my previous uni, but I would talk, can I talk about it, like, generally? Yeah, of course. Okay, so... um. Before I was like a um, kind of like a this thing called student parliament where all the minority groups, so like we had one for black students, Asian students, students with disabilities, international students, like a whole range of like minority groups and other groups within uh, campus that needed represented, representing and needing to make sure that their needs are being met on campus. And I was the kind of like the person for black students, well, no, BAME students. So I had to make sure that... Uh, Black, Asian and minority ethnic students were being looked after by the senior officers, I guess, of the um, university. 
And there was a situation where we have this person called the Black officer who's in charge of making sure that Black students are looked after. And some had given them a, wanted to give them a vote of no confidence to remove them from the office. And I was new to the role and I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. So I went to the like head of the university and was like, what do I do in this situation? They kind of just bypassed me in the whole situation. And when we got to the initial meeting, it was so, I just felt so humiliated because it was like, here me, a black woman going against another black woman. But because I didn't know, really know that how, like why it got so serious so quickly. I was just like, what are the next steps? And I felt so hu- humiliated because they were all like kind of looking at me like, why are you against this person? And I was like, I'm not against this person. I'm just bringing the thoughts of someone else to the forefront. And I just remember feeling so like, like I had betrayed myself, betrayed my race, betrayed the group that I was supposed to be looking after because they were just like, why would you do that? When I was just like, I was just trying to do my job. And I just remember feeling so horrible. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. It's it's a weird feeling in certain environments. It just feels like you cannot disagree with another person of color because there's this sort of cloud of POC unity. And- yeah. When at the end of the day, yes, POC unity could be a thing. However, I am not only a POC. I'm also an individual with an opinion. And this individual with this opinion can disagree with that individual with that opinion, regardless of whether they're a person of color or not. Yeah. Um, yeah, going on that, like, what do you think about, like, BAME, POC, kind of like ethnic minority um, unity? There's a lot, there's been a bit, like, a lot of debate within, like, since, you know, the Black Lives Matter protests of, like, it not, like, it not existing and people saying that it's a facade because um, usually a lot of the time other ethnic groups discriminate against one. Um, I think that, again, every person of colour is a person at the end of the day. So they will have different opinions amongst themselves and amongst all the different ethnic minorities that exist. I don't think there's a facade because I personally, I do believe it can work. I do believe that if I see something happening to another person of color, as in racial bias, if I see it, or if I see a microaggression, I will know how it feels like and be willing to help them. As you've said before, even if you had to defend other ethnic groups in talks or just correct people when using inappropriate words or phrasing not correctly or just making mistakes. So I do think it's something that could be a thing. However, I don't believe in putting all the ethnic minorities in one bag and just shaking it and be like, here, they're all the same and we can help them all the same way because they all experience the same thing. I don't know if it makes sense. Yeah, no, exactly. I feel like having different people or like a group of people to represent them rather than just grouping them together and being like here's one person for all you guys because you all experience the same thing when in practice and in and in theory that's not true because different levels different types different experiences different cultures it's like trying to condense it because it's like just putting everyone under like an other category rather than like embracing everyone's differences 
Yes, and I also think it's an easy escape route mm. to help these minorities in the sense of a black person will not experience the same thing as a South Asian person, which will not even experience the same thing as an East Asian person and so on and so forth. However, I do think that solidarity should be a thing amongst not only people of color, but just everyone. So I think it's a quick way to just not force solidarity into people, which is what should be done. And I'll go even beyond solidarity because solidarity is like a willing action from the part of someone that feels empathy. I feel like empathy is the thing that should be more promoted than um, grouping all the ethnic minorities into one. I know what racism feels like and an Asian person will know what racism feels like. That is empathy. However, we don't need to be grouped into a same sort of team to combat that. Just need people to understand it. Yeah, I agree as well. I think at the, if I'm correct, at Sussex, there is like one person that's like a bait, like I think it's like BAME officer or something like that. I was just thinking, oh, that's a bit, that's a bit um, different because usually I thought you would separate, you know, to try and get someone like get someone as close to your lived experience as possible. But as you say, sometimes unity, sometimes solidarity, sometimes acknowledgement is better than just someone that maybe the same race as you, but not for your. Um, for your advancement as much as probably someone else could be. Yes, at the end of the day, I think it's not about having lived the same things. It's about being able to understand and empathise with the other person, which shouldn't require a person of colour to do so. Yeah. So at the end of the day, if what we're going to rely on is empathy, then why... So we only rely on empathy from people of colour and not other. Yeah. But would you say that like uh, a white person could be the BAME officer or ethnic minority officer? Because like how would people, how would other students react to that? No, I, I understand how it can come across. What I'm trying to say is that um, I wouldn't get treated the same way as a Chinese student would get treated, even though we would both get treated in a bad way. Um, the way we get treated poorly is different. We would get different stereotypes attached to each other. We would get different words called at us. We would get different, it would be at different moments in the day. It would be in different places. It would be for different reasons. And if I go and Let's just say the let's imagine the BAME officer is a it's a Chinese student, for example, and I need help from them. What they're going to rely on is empathy at the end of the day, not shared experience. So through that same sort of direction, a white student could also just be empathetic towards my experience and sort of understand what I'm trying to say which is why I do agree with you, it would be not more appropriate, but just more effective to have a person from as many ethnic groups possible and just make a black officer and an Asian officer and not only Asian officer, South Asian officer and 
East Asian officer and then uh, I don't know if it makes sense. No, yeah, I understand completely. Yeah, I'm saying it's not that we should let a white student take the place of a BAME officer. I do, it just feels like it would be the same sort of. Yeah. But yes, on the next topic that I've got, um, you've mentioned that you're living at home, but doing your undergrad, were you living in your university city? Uh, yeah, I was. And how was being a person of color in that city? Was it very different from um, at home? Was it noticeable in sort of, in a way? Um, would people immediately know that you were a student just because you're young and black? I think most of my difficulties came with more just living with people that was like outside of my friendship group outside of my like um my family so for instance in my first year I was quite lucky that I had a lot of people that had like a similar upbringing to me so I was able to, to like if I said something or like I said oh you don't do this in my house they understood it as well because they would be like oh yeah the same in my house when when I then went into my second and third year, I lived with friends and I was like the only uh, black student. And it was sometimes like cultural clashes a little bit or it could be general upbringing clashes. So like, you know, you washing like your meat before you cook it or even just like the type of diet you have, what you use in your diet and different tastes that people have. I see. Was there a lot of, not conflict, but a lot of differences around food because food is a big part of culture everywhere around. So, mm. willing to discover your culture, or were they more sort of having? Yeah, I would say yeah. My the people I lived with, because they were like my friends, they were much more uh, like culturally um, inquisitive. So like, they'll be like, oh, yeah, that looks nice. I'll be like, do you want to try some? And they'll be up for trying it. Whereas, like, luckily I was I had, didn't have that bad of an experience. Maybe they were just like, oh, that looks really spicy, like comments like that. But other than that, it was pretty okay. And have you ever lived with someone that has made you feel like you were the other but in a gross way, in a negative way? Mm, no. Have you? I haven't neither because I've also only lived with friends. Mm. So again, as you said, they're always more willing to discover, more curious. It's more an equal to equal relation in terms of I'm going to show you my culture and you can show me mine. I think the fact that I'm not British also plays a big role into that um, because everything I do might be weird to me, but people know that everything they do might be weird to Sorry, the other way around. Everything I do might be might seem weird to people, but people also know that everything they do might seem weird to me. So I don't feel that othered in that sense of the way. But I've had friends who have generally been living with people that have made them feel like they were complete extraterrestrials. And I think that's a very weird thing that once again, it can only happen to either foreign or or students of color. I think it's a very cute, I don't know, 
weird part of growing up and living with different people that are not our families and that know all our customs um i had a friend that is was chinese that is chinese um asian and she um had a flatmate who would throw away her food and she would confront them and be like can you stop throwing away my food and they were because like oh it smells and I, we don't want that in the flat which was just very like culturally insensitive and just very rude full stop it was rude so i would have to be i would have to i would go there and be like can you stop throwing away my friend's food and but they were really just ignorant to her culture and to her as a person just very disrespectful yes i think it goes beyond culture i think it's just disrespectful because well we've all left i don't know all these tomatoes in the fridge for too long <laughs> be two days because they go off very quickly um but it's happened to the rest of us that we've left food in the fridge for too long and then it smells and then housemates complain about it etc however i feel like there is that little distinction from when it's food that we're used to or that we culturally know we are sort of more okay with it and then when it's food that we're not used to or that we don't know there's always that thing of just having a biggest disregard towards it and just throwing it away and when I say we obviously I mean how would I describe this when I say we I mean um, people who wouldn't respect other people's culture so I, I'm not including me in that group but <laughs> yeah sort of um oh since it's foreign food I'm allowed to throw it away had it been a tomato then I would have just told the person or yeah just, you know what I'm trying to say yeah I think it was also kind of like because I think the, the person that it was they probably just felt like they were kind of more important and more deserving of the fridge space as well as the fact that they were just like un un uh, what is it they didn't know what is it called non-understanding of the the food so they were just like yeah it smells I'm throwing it away when that's just like at first, it's not even your property to throw away and you could say something before you just throw it away. Because that's my friend wasting money. I know, and it's food. We're not talking about dirty clothes on the sofa or coats always being on the floor or dirty plates. We're talking about food. Yeah, exactly. And it's an important part of people's possessions. Again, it could be so many other things that could bother you and make you sort of go past the communication stage and just taking action but I don't know on my next topic I was asking whether you think you as a black student have the same opportunities as other students um, future wise networking wise internships I'm talking jobs I'm talking in general or do you feel like at the end of the day there will always be that imbalance and I'm talking feelings, not facts, because sadly facts are against us on this one. Um, I'm talking about how your academic environment has made you feel, has Sussex inoccurrence made you feel like they will put everything in their sort of power, help you achieve your professional goals? Oh, I think it's so difficult because sometimes you, you feel like you're doing really, really well 
and then other times you feel like how am I going to get a job because like unfortunately as you say it's not facts but facts don't lie a lot of like how to get a lot of jobs is through who you know rather than what you know and it's like sometimes you just don't have that person or you don't you want to create a space that it's um you don't have to undermine your your cultural self as well as your professional self so I feel like Sussex does a decent job of supporting BAME students career-wise. I can't talk for everyone, but I feel like when they have like talks, usually it's from a diverse group of people, which is very, very welcome. However, I feel like sometimes uh, the need for more targeted professional help, so such as, I don't know, CV advice specifically for students from minority backgrounds and that does include LGBT and disabled people I feel like sometimes you kind of just feel like I feel like sometimes I don't understand the help I need which is quite hard to tell people what the help I need if I don't understand the help I need because a lot of the times it's just what you're used to what you've accepted as being natural or normal when it and actual in in fact it's supposed to be things that you're that is not normal not everyone experiences being told no because of where you're from or things like that I know it's it's weird because sometimes you think everyone gets treated this way and then you just ask around and realize that you're the only person that's being treated that way since you are a master's student I was wondering if you've had any experiences in the in the work industry, is in professional industry, if you've had any, I don't know, internships or professional experience that were not pleasant because of the fact that you're a black person. Oh my gosh, I do have an experience, but it's one of those. I really hate one of these experiences because I've had two, and they're ones that are not like, oh, I know definitely this person was racist or very prejudice against me because of my race it was more of a was this a factor was it not a factor so my first experience is I went to a tour a journalism talk and it was like giving feedback to the industry of what like the younger or future generation want to see in implemented into journalism and I would put my hand up to answer ask a question and the person that was picking people to ask questions basically just skated around me. And I had my hand up for about 20 minutes. And until my friend, who's black but of lighter skin, put her hand up, they went to her straight away, even though I was sat in front of her. So you would have to look past me to see her. And it, when she said, oh, she, when she was chosen, she said, uh, my friend has been waiting for 20 minutes and you skated around her. And then before I spoke, they said that, oh, we don't have a lot of time, so could you be quick? And I was just like, so you, you've pushed me really far into the discussion and you want me now to be quick. So I tried to answer my question as quickly as possible. And they cut off the people like halfway through their answers. So it's like I didn't even get a full answer. But then they went on to answer like 10 more questions. And it was kind of an experience where I was like, oh was that racially motivated or was it not but it was just wasn't a nice feeling and I just felt really like I felt very angry at first to be honest because it was just like what like why did I have to be the person to 
have to have that experience with this person. Um, and my second one was about attire. So I used to work in a uh, in an establishment, let's say, and we wore we had to kind of wear like smart clothes. And I was wearing these smart trousers, and one of the managers brought me to the side and said, "You shouldn't." like you shouldn't be wearing tracksuit bottoms and I looked down and I was like tracksuit bottoms she was like yeah you shouldn't be wearing tracksuit bottoms and I don't know if you know but kind of like hood culture and like working class like especially London culture you know black people wear black hoodies black tracksuits all this stuff and I just said to her I'm not wearing tracksuit bottoms why would I be wearing tracksuit bottoms and she was like and when she properly looked at my trousers she was like oh I'm just telling you. And I had to look at her like, why would, like, I'm not stupid. Why would I be wearing black tracksuit bottoms to work in a professional environment? So I felt very insulted by that comment. That is so crazy. And it makes me link it to something I've seen on the on the Sunday Times. Don't ask why I read the Sunday Times. I, I know I shouldn't. I'm just very nosy and I'm a communications and media student, so I just want to know all the different point of views regardless of how questionable how questionable the newspaper can be but that being said I was reading this article about how stop and search had been peaking lately and how black people were more stopped and searched than anyone else and the article was focusing on the case of this young man that um, had been stopped and searched over 60 times in two years 60 times that's so many I know I know and I think it's crazy and the comments were what made me remember this story in the comments there were a couple of people just saying but what was that young man wearing where was that young man when he got stopped and searched maybe he was dressing in a suspicious way Maybe he was wearing tracksuit buttons, maybe. And I thought that was the most ridiculous thing to write ever because I thought we were past the what was the person, the victim wearing. I thought we all had agreed, Black and non-Black people, that what was the victim wearing was not an appropriate question to ask when a problem like this or any other type of problem was raised. But apparently... The way people dress, the way people of color dress, and the way women of color dress is an important factor when it gets to deciding whether whether they're really a victim or whether they sort of bring upon themselves, which is crazy. Yeah, no, it is. It's very like it's a very it's. This is where you get into like a conversation on like intersectionality because always 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 like the the sexualization of people especially when they say what what were they wearing you know it's not good it's like why what would you want me to wear like a high v vest and like you know loud trousers it was just it's it's not great from then from when that question is asked you know that the almost all defenses you could say is just going to go over that person's head and it's very frustrating because it feels like you're fighting 10 battles when you're only trying to get one solved it is just crazy i'm um, thinking about experiences i might have had um 
on professional grounds, I would just think about this one job interview I did to be a receptionist in a hotel. So nothing to do with what I'm studying. And I had I had my hair in a low bun because it, it was a quite fancy hotel. So I was trying to look very professional and tidy and and smart, casual, etc. So I was wearing a shirt and trousers and I was still wearing Converse, but kept it sort of neat hair-wise. I don't know if it makes sense. So yeah, I had a low bun and the person in the interview asked me if I always wore my hair like that. And I replied, no, sometimes I just wash it and go. And they were like, oh, is your hair very curly? And I said, yes, it is very curly. You can see it. I haven't altered it. So you can see how curly my hair is. And I said, oh, I see. And uh, long story short, I didn't got the job. I'm not trying to say it was racially motivated, but I do believe it was. Not only because of those questions, but because I also knew someone that worked there and they actually sent my CV for me. So getting a job when your friend gives your CV for you means that the job is the place of employment is already looking for someone quite desperately um, that they don't have time to go through interviews and advertise the position any further. I then got the position and I got all these questions about my hair uh, instead of on my previous experience and what I could and couldn't do. So I do think it was actually motivated. I wasn't too sad at the moment because I had a lot of interviews going on, but I was quite shocked you don't expect those things to happen. It might sound a bit crazy and it's probably because I'm very young, but these sort of racism stories sound like very anecdotic to me. And it's sometimes you just want to close your eyes and say racism is not real. No one has said anything to me today. It doesn't really exist. And then it just hits you. I don't know if it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. It's so annoying because sometimes you just want to be, as you say, ignorant to it all and be like, oh, no, maybe it's because like I didn't answer the question as, as they wanted me to or things like that. But it's, it's sad, but sometimes you just got to face it for what it is. Like The thing is, with especially with UK racism and discrimination, it's very covert not all the time but a lot of the time it's very covert like they would ask you like as you said like do you wear your hair like that all the time what kind of hairstyles do you usually go for like um probably even lifestyle questions which is rude and just unnecessary unless it's necessary to the job it shouldn't be asked not only to the job but also to know more about the person it would make sense if they asked me if I go to the gym very often and if I go to the gym at 6 a.m. to know what type of person I am, if I'm more of a morning person or oh, an evening person and to know on what shift put me. But like, I don't think my hair plays a lot of relevance on who I am as a person, what am I or not capable of doing. Exactly. On my last point that I've got, I was wondering if you think that the media industry in the UK is diverse and if so is it diverse enough what what would it need to be better what would be the ideal media industry in the UK for you oh so to answer your first question is the media diverse absolutely not statistics I'm going to regurgitate some very old statistics most of the people that work in the media industry went to private school have a second degree 
are middle class or grew up middle class with two earner households are un- and are white and usually um, there's a, like a very, very low percentage of people that are Muslim in the media industry. Like the media industry is not diverse. It doesn't even cover the percentages of the people that are, that are in the UK. <laughs> Going on that, what would be the ideal media industry? I don't know if I could ever answer because especially with the mistrust of the main media outlets, especially I'm more focused on news, so news outlets, you're looking at the BBC, you're looking at ITV, you're looking at Channel 4, The Times, The Guardian, all these other places. People are not turning to traditional media as much anymore. Loads of people are looking more at independence. Increasingly, you know, Netflix documentaries have really grown in the last couple of years, like specifically Netflix original ones, not like, you know, ones that were on the BBC that are now on Netflix. And it kind of shows you that sometimes you just got to do it independently, try and get like a fund to try and push it and use social media. Social media will be your biggest tool because people will follow you on social media if they like your content rather than the publications themselves. Yeah, I see. Is there enough visibility for ethnic minorities on, let's say, on just broadcast TV? I would say mm, no, sometimes. I think it kind of depends what it's for um, and who it is. Because usually a lot of the times to get to be like a broadcaster or a presenter, you have to go through other channels. So such as being a actor previously or someone that used to write like a really like a national renowned journalist or something or have like a very high social standing and then migrate. So it's kind of shows that you have to be like the best of the best. And sometimes it's really hard for um, minorities and people from different races to even get a foot into the um the ladder at the first place to even make that first step i see and is there any i was thinking about um acceptable representation and if it makes sense um i'm thinking about for example the french media industry there's always there is some diversity i don't want to say none at all and i don't want to say a lot but there is some diversity on french media however it's always sort of very polished in the sense yeah. very disconnected from any cultural backgrounds or any anything um there's no accents no hair that's not straight no i don't know how to keep going there's no names that are culturally different there's no background that's not white it's always a very polished um representation is that something that happens a lot in the uk or not because that um from a foreign perspective the uk is this very 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 diverse country i'm saying this as a european person but everyone looks at the uk as this country where all the minorities thrive and live together even if they live not together and i don't know it's a weird per- perception of the uk Yes, no, I understand what you mean. It's kind of like 
a digestible version of like blackness or um you know cultural cultural background it's it sometimes like, I feel like it is getting better but I feel like a lot of that comes from the U.S. like the U.S. Uh, kind of sets like what is it called like broadcast I want to say like broadcast trend as in like as you say usually with straight hair um, makeup done really well their names are something that is not like hard to pronounce it has to be pronounceable by like the general public whereas I feel like this starting to get a shift so you're now starting to see if there are if there are any black broadcasters or uh, presenters and people in the media they would sometimes have like braids or their natural hair or they would wear or they would have their cultural name on the screen or they would you know making sure that other people even guess their cultural names are said properly so there is improvement but it's slow improvement that is crazy but I guess we will eventually get there um, would you like to conclude saying something? Because I'm afraid I've gone through all the points I had, which weren't many, I'm sorry. Um, however, if you have any points that you'd like to bring, because I feel like you always bring quite interesting things and I'm able to bounce that. Um, I don't know, maybe um, to end, I would have to say that as a person of culture, and I'm very proud of my culture, to never feel ashamed of it, that sometimes it's actually your biggest, um, I don't want to say it's your USP, but it's your unique selling point. Sometimes people would come to you simply because you are from a certain culture, if you have a certain niche. And it does sometimes push you as much as some, as we've talked about, it can hold you back. It can push you very, very far. And I feel like to anyone listening to hold on to that and to, um, not make anyone put you in a box because of it or because you don't have what they were looking for that is beautifully said (laughs) better um my pep talk would be for anyone listening if anyone asks you where you are from twice just say no and leave the conversation they don't need to know (laughs) i like that (laughs) it doesn't need to go that far unless it's relevant unless it's important the conversation doesn't need to go that far if you're asking why i'm black well i don't know why your eyes are blue I, it's life it happens sometimes and yeah it turns for too long you, you never know some some questions are really insensitive and i know it's hard to um judge whether the person is being insensitive because they're uneducated and they don't know or if they're just being insensitive because they just are selfish and think they're entitled to know everything about every person in color, every person of color, sorry, they meet. So yes, set your boundaries. And as Shay said, um, be proud of who you are. It will take you very far, I don't doubt it. Brilliant. So uh, thanks everyone for listening. Thank you, Shay, for your wisdom and your nice interventions. Uh, Thank you, Will, for editing. Will is our editor today. Um, And yes, we will see you in the next episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, have an idea that you'd love to discuss and want to get involved, please email on the record mah at gmail.com. This has been an MAH production.